Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial, colon, lockdown. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. I literally I... almost introduced myself as Dave then, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Big lockdown you starting wish, to get you to wish. Me. <laughs> uh, This week, we are putting Dunkirk on trial. And just like Dunkirk, we shall never surrender our opinions on films, that is, even if they're completely incorrect and unfounded, just like Ozzy's opinion on the film Gattaca. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your joysticks because we're about to dive straight into your ear canals with some unbridled fun. (laughs) Bit of a stretch, that one. You've you've done pretty well so far this week. Uh, I'm just waiting for the inevitable, you know, downturn uh, in quality. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to try and be very positive and very, you know, complimentary and not mention anything crude or rude. So here we go. One minute, fourteen seconds in. I reckon I can get at least another minute. Uh, <laughs> essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained and to keep up morale, including a caption contest. A quiz, some average impressions, some awful xylophone playing, some sound effects, and a whole lot of blighty banter. (laughs) So, do stick around, (laughs) and remember, God save our king. (laughs) So, this week's film on trial is not the 2020 crime film Capone, as announced last week, but it is instead the 2017 war film Dunkirk. It turns out Capone isn't actually available in the UK just yet and although Al Capone himself probably would have encouraged us to obtain it illegally we thought that we'd wait until it was readily available here uh, so in the meantime we did another random pick and it is Dunkirk instead so is it going to be a beach landing or a beach party hopefully we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> oh no no actually no I know I know what's just the bad one <laughs> yeah if you've got to ask which one the bad one <laughs> Then again, we are in lockdown and beach parties are quite bad. Someone's listening to this like two years into the future. (laughs) (laughs) Just to say, this will be a very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen Dunkirk yet, check it out. It's free on Netflix if you have Netflix. If not, it's about £3.95 on Amazon Prime. Or you can listen to this after you've... uh, What am I trying to say here? You can listen to this episode after you've watched the film or you can just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to us by me, uh, which will start around, I don't know, 45 minutes, we reckon. Who knows? Anyway, on to the bulk of the show. This week's film, as mentioned before, is... Uh, still Dunkirk it's, it is it's Dunkirk I didn't change my notes it said Capone I was like oh no and then the next bit said Joker and I was like where am I who knows anyway we're putting Dunkirk on trial hang on <laughs> What's that? there you go uh, Harry Styles it is Harry Styles well done oh uh, yeah for once that was completely perfect. No perfect. Well, it was one direction. Let's not take away the credit from the other. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of all, of all like 160 songs that are played on the xylophone, that is the one without any mistakes. What does that say about me? Uh, right. Anyway, um, so uh, 
I've completely forgot before we go on to, to talk about Dunkirk. Our last film on trial was Joker, which Ozzy judged, and he deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. He's since got away and he's watched the film. Ozzy, what do you reckon? Did you make the right call? I, I actually don't know. Um, I'm not really sure how I feel about the film overall. I think it was very beautiful. Um, like, you know, I think it's really well shot and I think it's very stylistic. But I don't actually know if I enjoyed it or not. Um, so it's hard to say. I mean, I, maybe I'm, ha- I'm happy it's still on the hit list, but I don't actually know if if it's good. If that makes sense, you should watch it for his <laughs> performance. I think uh, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix's performance is incredible. Um, I could fully believe him. But then as a story and as a link into the Batman world, I, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's, a, it's, it's a film to be watched. I just don't know if it's a hit. Okay, so it's up there with Roadhouse in the category, as Ozzy said. It's a hit, but I just don't know if it's any good. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, so as I said before, uh, we're doing Dunkirk. Uh, it was picked out of the hat at random and was recommended to us by long-term listener Don Jolio, who said, Hi, guys. Really like the show. Apart from Joel, he seems like a bit of an arsehole. Anyway, can you please put Dunkirk on trial? Thank you. Uh, so yes, we can, Don. Uh, thought, we um, Don. Don't worry about it. You were going to cut out the, you know, the rudity and the crudeness. Uh, hey, this is verbatim. <laughs> I'm just quoting what one of our listeners said. Uh, anyway, <laughs> on to uh, the the rest of the show. All the roles have been picked out at random as well. So in defence and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be me and Alex. I'm a bit like Harry Styles, a terrible actor. And <laughs> Alex is just like Barry Keogh's character, George. He easily falls over and gets a head wound. <laughs> I really, really should have seen that one coming. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> how long we can keep this up for. <laughs> if it's and anything act- like the other jokes, yeah, decades. <laughs> like, 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 actual decades. Yeah, you think about how long I've been riding out the ball joke. This this one oh could God. go even longer, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, okay, so, and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Ozzy and Dave. Ozzy is a little bit like Tom Hardy's character, Farrier. The entire time he's driving his vehicle, you're terribly afraid that he's going to crash, uh, which it's, it is 100% true if you've ever been in a car with Ozzy. Uh, and <laughs> Dave is just like Mark Rylance's character, Mr. Dawson. He dresses like an old sea captain. Hence <laughs> the name, Captain Dave. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, we'll be making the best case for our roles. These may or may not be our real opinions, though. So stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear our real thoughts. Which means this week, Joel has got the most important role as he will be playing the judge. Now, Joel is just like Killian Murphy's character, Shivering Soldier. He's always shaking. (laughs) 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 Which is true. Uh, uh, I didn't know if that was in bad taste, but I've said it now, so there there we go. Um, But he also may be responsible for another person's head injury. We just don't know. Could say it was Alex falling over, or you could say it was Joel who supplied him with all the tequila. So, you know. (laughs) Anyway, now Joel must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. So here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it has landed on Ozzy. So how would we like Ozzy to read out the synopsis? 
I would like it in the style of like a, a World War News reporter, you know, like from the BBC. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can do that, my best. That yeah. or Churchill, yeah. Or Churchill. Oh, yeah. I'm not really sure of the Churchill. Uh, what about Churchill the dog? Churchill the dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Allied, That's pretty good, actually. Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British <laughs> Empire and France are surrounded by the German army. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is during a fierce battle in World War Two. You know, I think I think we didn't really think that one through, did we? Before, before we went with Churchill a dog reading out that synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> Dunkirk, one of the British military's, you know, hugest things read out in the style of a, car, of a dog from the advertisement. <laughs> oh, well, right. well, without further hesitation, Austin, would you like to please kick off the seedings? Thank you. Oh, no, I mean, Joel, sorry. I would love to, Joel. yes. I uh, declare this a shit. <laughs> Shoot your pile. So, um, all right, so let's start with, I think everybody, well, not everybody, but most people by now obviously know the story of um, of Dunkirk. I think how, so, wouldn't you? How is this film um, kind of relating to the actual real-life events? Does it follow, um, you know, is it historically accurate? And are the events on screen kind of, you know, exaggerated a little bit? Or is it just a kind of truthful story, like a retelling uh, with just, you know, a little bit of drama on top? So we'll go for the uh, defense first. All right. Well, I, I would say um, this is a very factual film. So it sort of um, ticks the boxes of, of what happened at Dunkirk. Um but it doesn't make it very dramatic, and this is my main problem. So yeah, you know the you know the the, the story's fairly simple of Dunkirk. You know, you, like you say, people know it already. Uh, British troops surrounded by the uh, German um, army in northern France went to Dunkirk and waited to be taken away, but there weren't enough boats. <clears throat> so you know the British, um, you know they they navy requisitioned uh, British boats and took them over to try and collect. The, the sailors. So it's a very fairly um, simple story, uh, and to be honest, the way this film depicts it is 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 in a very um, factual way. So I think Christopher Nolan, you know, and, and I'll give him the credit on this point. He's done a very good job of making a Spitfire look very much like a Spitfire, and everyone's wearing the right uniform, and everyone's got the right ration tins. And I think it's meticulous, probably down to that very very detail. And I think he went absolutely overboard with the sort of the factual element of it and making it seem exactly like it was um, at the time. It's not a very dramatic story. There's nothing much really going on in this story, I wouldn't say. Um, Alex, you're the defence, you know. (laughs) 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 uh, As as I I wholeheartedly agree with the defence. I I think he's been too kind. I think he's been far too kind. Shit. Can can I take over from Alex? I'll leave it to my colleague. (laughs) You should have carried on without him when he told you to. Like, I uh, thought he was going to work it around. I was like, oh, yeah, it's meticulous. It is very meticulous. And then he was like, yeah, to a fault. And I was like, oh, no, that, that doesn't sound very nice. Jeez, um, I mean, you're no Johnny Cochran, mate. I'll tell you that. <laughs> like, I, I, I would agree with some of what Alex was saying <laughs> in that it is very meticulous. 
I, but I wouldn't agree with him when he said that there wasn't any uh, drama to it. I think that there is. I think uh, Nolan has done a fantastic job of picking up uh, like some of the real life events, but also the, the sort of the mundane aspects as well. I say mundane. I mean, like, I'm talking Bloody about hell, the waiting. Is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so it's mundane and it's meticulous to a fault. No, no, I, I'm talking about the the waiting. Uh, so that's something that you know, like we don't we don't see. Uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of like waiting, waiting to actually land on Dunkirk, waiting to get into like a ship, leaving Dunkirk. You know, I, I, a lot of it, it you can kind of feel the nerves and the tension. And, and, you know, from the very smallest of scenes, like, I think he's done a very good job of um, telling a story that we've all heard many times before, but in a different way. And one of the, the ways he's done that is by showing it from different perspectives. You know, it interweaves three approaches to Dunkirk by land, sea and by air, in addition to covering three different time periods, um, an hour, a week and um, a a day, sorry, I missed a bit one out, which adds a lot of complexity and depth to it. You know, this it's a non-linear tale as well, so it's constantly jumping back between characters' perspectives, which once again ramps up the tension. So a scene where, you know, like the kind of um, a, a, a sailor or, you know, a commander is on a boat taking the boat to Dunkirk to pick up some soldiers. Like, in the scene, you wouldn't really imagine that it would be particularly eventful. It's just it maybe a bit of dialogue between two characters. But the way it's shot, and the, the, I just think it, it captures the the tenseness and, you know, the kind of the seriousness of the situation without doing a, a lot, if that makes sense. I think, you know, add to the fact that you've got a fantastic score by Hans Zimmer, which is just constantly building tension throughout. You've got tremendous cast as well. And it's beautifully shot in, you know, like uh, IMAX cameras. It just makes this a really compelling story. Definitely. Okay, so... I, I agree with everything. <laughs> what I've got from, from that, Dave and Ozzy, is that it's mundane and meticulous. Do you want to <laughs> do you want to try and come to those points? Um, I mean, if if I may, I could come back to your original point, which was about the how faithful uh, and historical retelling is this, and I would say it has elements of it, but all in all, it's actually not that accurate. Uh, I think it really does over dramatize it, um, and that's saying something. You know, this was um, a major moment, a turning point, if you will, in the early stages of World War II. It could have ended very differently if it weren't for this moment. But the uh, the event showed great resilience. And, you know, it was great that the civilian population rallied to help the Royal Navy um, turn defeat into victory. But it actually wasn't like this major battlefront. This wasn't the the battles on your mind. So you're not going to see like Saving Private Ryan sort of scenes. You don't even see any German soldiers in this. It's very much focused on the British troops waiting to be evacuated. And I've had a couple of interviews with Dunkirk veterans who went to see the film. And they said, yeah, it, it was pretty much just like waiting for a bus. You know, there was no pushing or shoving or anything like that. They just all waited, like queued on the beach, waiting to be evacuated in true British style. Everyone loves a good queue. But... um. The bits where you've got um, none of the characters, if I may, before I get into that point, none of the characters are true to life. None of them are real. 
they're all composite characters. They're all fictional characters. You know, they've just been put in that place uh, to tell the story, to move it along. There's no one there who, like, you could Google and find out what actually happened to them. None of them are real. So because of that, he's allowed to, Christopher Nolan makes the characters more interesting by, you know, he puts some of them on a, on a Dutch fishing, ves- fishing vessel that came to extract them, and they, um, they get used as target practice by the Germans there while they're in this boat. And there's no record of anything like that actually happening. They kind of make it a bit bigger. They kind of make drag it out a bit more. Um, and all in all, it's it's the big thing that it really got to about this film. The thing that I really hated was the way he mutilates the time the timeline. You will be jumping from one moment to another back in time. You will see um, a ship being torpedoed at night, and then you will go to Mark Rylance in the day, on the day of the Dunkirk evacuation. You'll go to Tom Hardy flying overhead a few hours before that. Then you'll go back to the ship being sunk in the nighttime beforehand, and then you'll go find someone else on another ship which was sunk, but that's not happened yet. That'll happen in a moment. And it's all going back and forth, chopped and changed, and it didn't need to be. This was a linear event. This actually happened. It's, it's not making Inception again. You know, this is a straightforward linear event, and he's gone crazy hacking bits out of this timeline, and it it takes any sense of realism out of it, any sense of time frame of like any tension you may have felt of oh, they've got to get these troops off off the beach quickly, it's kind of evaporated because it's like, well, no, because now we're back the night before. You know, time's running out in the other segment, it's not running out in this one. Um, so it's it really does a number, and I don't know why he did it. There doesn't seem to be any reason why Christopher Nolan did that and hacked his time so uh, timeline to pieces and it's done deliberately you know it's not it's not bad editing it's a, it's a conscious decision by the editor and by Christopher Nolan to to make the film in this way non-linear and i don't understand why and that's not made clear to me why yeah if if i may respect with respect uh, it is a phrase that I've learned today, by the way. You've only just learned it today. <laughs> that makes sense, actually. Yeah. Um, but genuinely, I, I uh, until Gav mentioned it just then, I didn't realise that, that that they were actually set over different time frames. It tells you at the start, it says like, but it's not clear what it means. It says um, like uh, Dover one day. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you're not aware that they're actually telling you this is going to happen over the course of one day. And then the jumping between nighttime and daytime, it really is jarring. It's just, just takes you out of the story completely. Um, for And what could, like Dave said, if you told it linearly, it could be, you know, it, it, it is a tense story. So it could have been done incredible with the same visuals, um, but just in a line. That would have been really tense. Would have been okay. a good film. Um, Alex, I think you've got something to add. Yeah, I'd like to do a full charge defense of this film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just for two points there. Um, one, I, I think it's uh, probably not a bad idea to have based them on fictional characters, like composite characters that Dave said. I understand the decision to do that because, you know, we, we talked about this when we talked about Titanic. You know, when, you, when you're doing a story about real people, especially historical people, it can get a bit messy and families can get very upset and, you know, you can restrict the storytelling part of it. So I understand why, you know, you're definitely as well characters that don't act quite as well. You didn't particularly want to base them on real people. I think that makes sense. Um, for the time thing, I think it's said quite clearly at the start, you have the three different parts of the story. You have the the air, which is over one hour, and it says one hour. Uh, you have the bit with the, the ship, which is one week, and it says one week. And the same with the... Um, with the boats that's coming with Mark Rylance, which is one day. So it is quite clear that you know that that is one week, that is one day, and that is one hour. And I understand why they did that as well, because if you had a linear story, 
you would not believe it. You know, and this is like like I was saying before that this is a film that's very going very much for the realism aspect of Dunkirk. And so if you had just a linear story, you'd be like, well, no, the these events didn't go one after the other, one after the other. The 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 the, the plane couldn't have been in the air for that long for the ship to come all the way over. So you couldn't have had the ship come over way all the way over and the plane be there for one hour as well. And for the events of Dunk of, of the people on the beach as well. So it, that makes sense to me that they did that. And it makes sense that Christopher Nolan did it. Like Dave said, he's, he's played around with timelines before and he knew what he was doing. Okay, Gav? I also think as well that he's trying to take away some of the predictability of, you know, stories in that, uh, okay, as, as I said before, this is a story that's been told before. So, you know, we might know what happens next or can kind of guess what happens next in certain um, elements of the story. Uh, so instead of just doing it as linear, you know, uh, kind of playing it to audiences' expectations, he's messing with the timeline a bit. So, you know, it, it, you, you have to think on your feet. You can't like kind of relax and switch your brain off in this because it's constantly shifting to a different story. And also maybe it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't read this anyway. I'm just kind of thinking as I was watching it. Maybe it's his sort of comments on the the idea of time in war, and you know, especially uh, when at Dunkirk, waiting for those ships to come so you could leave. That structure of time, as you knew it, is probably out the window. You know, what is actually a minute might feel like an hour. So maybe that's that's another thing that he's telling us. You know, time isn't as linear as we think it is sometimes, especially in those stressful situations. What is actually a week can feel like an hour, or vice versa. And you know, maybe that was a, a sort of way of telling us that okay so we've had a fair bit now on the kind of realism and the uh historical either accuracies or inaccuracies whichever way you look at it um what about the uh, kind of acting and the sets and things like that they're used obviously uh, Alex kind of touched on <laughs> at, the, at the at the start, you know. I, he said I don't that, um, that Joel. I <laughs> it's, it's almost meticulous to to um, you know a point of ridiculous, you, you know. Um, so uh, you know, I think everyone's aware Harry Styles is in it as well. What about the other actors? Do they do a good job? Um, you know, do you believe that they are uh, you know actual, actual soldiers on the beach, or are they just kind of you know random? random extras that have been kind of thrown in. So I'll let the uh, prosecution go first on this one. So, uh, Ozzy, do you want to jump in? And then Dave? Uh, yeah, yeah, if you don't mind. So, uh, so Harry Styles, in his defence, actually, I think he does an all right enough job. He's not um, jarring in it. I'm going to give him that. He's not, but he doesn't really have a huge amount to do, you know, in terms of he is a speaking character, but like, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't go, oh yeah, he's a pop star. Um, but, the actual acting across, so some of the key characters, you know, like uh, like the captain, I think he's all right. But everything, everyone is just very, very British, very flag waving, classic BBC British. The way you would want to portray the war, you know, you want this. It really is just a way of getting a Union Jag. Jack just up there flying so that us back at home can really enjoy the Hans Zimmer trumpets playing and like and just really get behind it that's what everyone is here they're caricatures of of the RAF pilot of the you know people from all over the or you know all over the country uh, different accents different everyone knocking around you know different accents within the same uh same the same regiments things like that and 
maybe you can argue that these people are, are like you know Thomas Shelby for some reason he's in it um, he's on the boat shivering away he is an actor to be fair to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that character <laughs> you know what I mean he, he is allowed to do different roles but, it's, um, to be fair to him <laughs> so but you know and, 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 and I think he does a good job of being a shell-shocked character but what does take you out is the extras there are a few scenes there was a scene in particular where um as the spitfire comes overhead and suddenly everyone's elated on the beach after being bombed for you know what i now know was a week being you know <laughs> shot to fuck where they've got no shelter whatsoever and this spitfire flies over and just happens to kill one um one german plane and there's this guy there's this ginger guy and he just sticks out <laughs> an absolute mile as it just pans across him. What a ginger! And he just because it's just ginger <laughs> people fighting the wolf. <laughs> he, hasn't even, he hasn't even got a speaking part. He literally the camera just pans past him. And how dare he be sky. ginger and not say <laughs> How how, how dare he not give any a defense idea of how to be like, There's people like it pans across. I've the said boat it before. You know, gingers are criminally underrepresented in films. Yeah, yeah but uh, what I'm getting is it's just like he's just one example of. There's so many extras in this. You say everyone's got to be pulling their weight to to look as though they're genuinely feeling a part of the war. This guy isn't. He just sticks out a mile. It's almost like, listen, man, we just need somebody to stand here for a second. Come and put this put this on and just just look, wave at the plane or something. And he's like looking. He's like, what plane? It's like, oh yeah, it's a special effect, mate. Like honestly, and it just sticks out. And it's at a, it's at a real high point of the film. So you've got the trumpets blaring. And it just takes you out. It's a moment that should be emotional and it really should be uh, pulling at all of the heartstrings. And you just see this guy just... <laughs> like, it's absolute... Stu- like, and, it, and, and in terms of, you know, people aren't really in it for long enough to... The kids on the boat, like, that's, everyone's just overly British. Like, I just can't get across this enough that they're like... Like BBC News room British. It's just... It's just shit. <laughs> um, so, Gava, I can see you're chomping at the beer to get involved in the ginger debate. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking Aussie just like speeds and that font all over again. Aussie like gets so bogged down with the minor details. It's not like he's thinking outside of the box. He's in like a completely different room. It's just <laughs> like, I can't believe that you spend that long talking about one ginger extra. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I, w- I will say like uh, agree with us some parts yeah there are a very lot of like terribly terribly british accents but there are there is also some diversity uh mark rylance's character for instance is he cornish is he um uh, <laughs> i mean but is that you know, diversity if you call that diversity really <laughs> I, don't, I, don't I mean we've got cornish and ginger here so we've covered two they're bases not, they're not an entirely different race do you know what I, mean? no, I said i said regional diversity oh, regional okay, sorry, sorry. not just diverse <laughs> no, yeah there is a bit of regional diversity in it uh you know tom hardy himself he's he's not you know the sort of standard oh hello rather rather you know he's 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 uh, well he sounds like tom hardy to be honest um but the thing is is like dave's arguments earlier about the characters and like you know there's not a lot of focus on uh, specific characters i think that uh, what nolan has done here is that he has purposely uh, spent short amounts of time on lots of different characters rather than focusing on one 
character, like, you know, Saving Private Ryan with Captain Miller or whatever. He's focused on several of them because he's trying to say that, you know, this is this is an, an effort. It's a group effort. It's not just about one person. This isn't about, you know, one man's journey to Dunkirk and back. This is about, you know, everybody. And, and that's why he spreads it over so many different people, you know, and, and he's covering all these different bases as well he's talking about three different approaches land sea and air he's talking about people who were actually you know in regiments and he's talking about civilians as well and you know he covers a lot of different areas and, and focal points and i think that you know it could have been quite difficult to do and it, you know quite, it might have been quite disengaging but he has hired with the exception of harry styles maybe the perfect cast to do so you've got some top top talent in this doing incredible jobs and they make it more captivating and they get you engaged okay thanks for that gav um dave i can see you've got a point um what i would kind of like to you to cover as well though if you would um is you know as he mentions that it's kind of over the top british and flag waving and things like that um but would you say that it's um you know, kind of too much in your face. You know, sometimes Americans uh, like Mel Gibson, for example, might glorify war. Do you think it's th- it's that type of level or do you think it's just, uh, you know, kind of being proud of, you know, our history and what is, you know, essentially, uh, you know, one of the biggest turning points in, in the war? Um, I think there's an argument to be made for both of those. Um, I think there is certainly, there's a lot of British pride in this, um, which, which can be jumped on for good reasons or for bad. Uh, I remember, uh, Nigel Farage was one of the big advocates of this film when it came out, he kind of twisted it to suit his Brexit rhetoric, which was going on at the time. And Christopher Nolan came out in defense of it and pointed out quite rightly, you can twist anything to suit your point. And that's what Farage did. This wasn't a Brexit film. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, but there is a lot of patriotism that can be, that we can be taken with this film. That is true. Um, I would fair, it was about bringing the British out of Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, taking the French with us, <laughs> I think, <laughs> and the Dutch came to help. That they're not going to help us anymore. But um, I think one of the big points about it, yeah, it, it can be seen as maybe a little overly patriotic. I think Land of Hope and Glory does start playing at the end as one of the soldiers who's been evacuated is reading uh, Churchill's speech that he, well, a transcript of it in the newspaper. Yeah, maybe it does get a little saccharine in that sense, a little sugary. Um, I wouldn't say it's ran down your throat for the entire film, though. So I could kind of forgive it for that moment. Um, And the other part, oh, the uh, glorifying war. I wouldn't say it does that. Um, It's clearly quite unpleasant situations that the soldiers find themselves in. There's no very little glory to it. But I would say it kind of sugarcoats it a bit. And it was a deliberate thing from Christopher Nolan not not to show the enemy, apart from like at the very end where Tom Hardy is taken prisoner. Um, you don't see any Germans. You don't see much blood either, to be honest with you. There's not really, you know, even though there's bombs going off on the beaches, people flying through the air, there's no, there's none of the Saving Private Ryan sort of D-Day landings, pools of blood, limbs being detached and things like that. None of that, none of that. Even when they're carrying the wounded onto the ships, it's quite, um, it, it, it's not bloody. It's not overdone. And, you know, I don't mind that. He's not really gone for a real, realistic depiction of war in that regard then. So if this was ever to be taken as an anti-war film in that regard, I I think you've got to really show the horrors of war to fit that bill. And I don't think he's done that in any stretch, but I don't think he meant to. So I can, I can forgive him that as far as Harry Styles goes. Um, he's not great. He's not that bad though. I think, but he does distract much as Ed Sheeran did in game of Thrones 
when he just turns up out of the blue, you, it, it does take you out of it for a moment because it's a very recognizable face that does suddenly detract and it does seem a bit odd and it does take you out of the moment. So I think, although he's not a terrible actor, I think casting him was a huge mistake for that reason. I think, yeah, it generated a bit of publicity for the film, but I think now that the publicity is over and people can just see the film for what it was, I think it was a bit of an error in hindsight. And I think, you know, the overly Britishness of the characters, I think casting Ken Branagh may have been a bit of a mistake as well. It doesn't get much more British than Ken Branagh and James Darcy stood on a pier talking about, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to stay for the French. It's like, well, very good, sir. I'll, <laughs> I'll see you back in Blindy. <laughs> it, it, it is a very British way of looking at it. Um, the performances are not bad. That's not to say Ken Branagh is bad. I think he's a very good actor. Um, uh, most of the cast are pretty good. Those that I'd seen before, yeah, they go, Mark Rylance, for example, always gives a stellar performance and he's very good in this. You know, he always is. You don't see very much of the characters though. I think this film really missed a protagonist. What Gav was saying before about it switching from one character to another and back and forth, it means you don't get attached with anyone. You don't actually begin to care that much about anyone because you're not following anyone on a journey. You're following snippets of a journey here or there. Um, and I'm not saying you don't give a damn about any of them, but a protagonist would really have helped this film because what Gav was saying about Christopher Nolan trying to show you the whole moment of Dunkirk, trying to film the events of Dunkirk and show you the whole big picture, and that's why he's not followed one person. If you're going to do that, then you do need to show the whole big picture. There's there's battalions that he left out of this. You know, there's an epic scale that could have been achieved that he didn't do. You know, there's three planes, there's three Spitfires that seem to do all the work. One of them is the squadron leader who shot down more or less straight away. One of them is the uh, the other pilot that Mark yeah, Rylance picks up, a Scottish guy, I think he's Scottish. Scottish guy. Yeah. Um, he's picked up, and the other one, Tom Hardy, seems to do all the work on zero fuel. Truth. Of the matter is there are about 3,000 uh, missions all done by hundreds of planes that flew over Dunkirk and helped out. We only see three pilots. In fact, one of them we don't even see. We just hear his voice at the bit before he's shot down. Um, you know, the ships that went over to help nearly, nearly how many was it? Just under 1,000 ships got sent to Dunkirk. We see but a few. We don't even see 100. And it's because Christopher Nolan didn't want to do CGI. He said that two CGI would be to cheat. And I get that, but this is the same man that brought you Inception. He's not averse to CGI. He knows how to use CGI. Why he didn't use it here, this was the sort of thing that CGI was made for, and he refuses to do it basically as a way of almost showing off, I think. I think it was hubristic not to admit that he needed CGI to achieve this. If he wants to encompass this huge, big scale, he should have gone out there and, and brought the whole big scale. And if he didn't want to do that, then I grant you, you could make the argument that I'm looking for a different film here. But if you can't bring it all together, which he didn't, you need a protagonist and you need to just follow one person and see their vision of Dunkirk as it goes along. And then we can forgive the gaps that are missing in this colossal picture. Okay. Hey, uh so uh, Bruce and Gav, then I'll, I'll chuck it back over to you. Um, obviously, you can rebuff any any points that that Dave and Ozzy made there, and then just kind of touch on uh, the action sequences. I know there isn't kind of too many, uh, but obviously the, there is some some that we've touched on already, um, especially uh, kind of the ones based in the air with Tom Hardy, and there's kind of a few uh, on the ground. Uh, if I remember correctly, but not too many. So if, you know, say what you want to say and then just go into the action and then um, we'll kind of wrap it up shortly after that. Well, you know, a, a lot of kind of what I was going to say sort of wraps into it as well. Um, you know, Dave was talking about um, horrors of war and that it doesn't show you the horrors of war. Like there's not a lot of blood. I understand he wasn't saying that, you know, he wanted to see more blood or anything like that. But 
I, I actually felt like this was a, a, a thing really in the film's uh, favor. I don't think you need to do like a hacksaw ridge and show guts flying out of people's backs to show that like, you know, bullets hurt and kill. You know, I think, I think people, you can expect the audience to know that. You know, this isn't kind of war porn. Do you know what I mean? It's not trying to show you like, oh, look at all these terrible things that happen in war. It does show you those things, you know, like the action sequences with the planes are extremely meticulously um, realistic. You know what I mean? I think they've worked very hard to make them as realistic as possible. And I don't think there's a film ever that shows a dogfight as realistically as you will see in Dunkirk. I, I think it really is out on its own on that, you know? Um, you know, it, you do see uh, ships being crashed into the into the ocean. You see um, flooded, you know, you see cockpits being flooded. You see real danger to life. You see a ship that's being torpedoed and people trying to get off it. So I, I think there's enough horror of war in this film. I think if any more, it would have been over the top and, and, and too much. So I think the action in this is understated. But it should be, and it, I think I don't think it lessens the horror. I actually think it increases it because it leaves you. It leaves a little bit to you. Um, you know, Dave was also talking at the lack of CGI, and I, I think you know people know the story of Dunkirk. They know it wasn't just three planes, and they know it wasn't just one ship that went over. You know, did like ferries back and forth to pick them all up. You know, I don't think you need to show a thousand ships for everyone to know that there was a thousand ships. You know, everyone understands that. He was doing a, he was doing an interesting thing of trying to do like a collective performance where you don't have one protagonist, but you have a lot of different people playing these roles. And I think he actually did that balance quite well. You know, you have these different people in these three different stories. No one shines, but they're not meant to shine. It's meant to be, you know, it is meant to be a realistic film. And I think if you went into one protagonist having some arc and learning some things about then then I think you would have been a little you'd have been taken out of the moment and you would have, you'd have lost that realism. And just that the, the, the last thing is, you know, talking about the Britishness that was brought up before, I, I think people like that. And I think when people sort of think about the war, you know, they think about back to a time when people were maybe a bit more polite and British and, and all of that. And I think it fits in. I think people would like that when they were looking at the film. Um, so I think I can see again why they went down that route. So, you know, I think the action's good, and I think it's understated in certain bits without losing that the horror and knowing that it was obviously not a great place to be. Okay, Gav, have you got anything to add on there? Yeah, yeah, just um, basically agree with what Alex said. I think a lot of it is understated, and uh, also with what Alex said as well, you don't need to have uh, you know explosions left, right, and centre, and guts flying here, there, and everywhere to show the horrors of war. You know, Christopher Nolan has has tried to keep it as a collective. And yeah, as you know, it's Dave mentioned about, you know, need and one protagonist, you know, you need to follow one. I, I think I would agree once again with what Alex said, you would lose something from the film. It would become more of a story, more of a film rather than what it is, which is like a screenshot of an event. And I think that, you know, once again, as Alex said, you don't need all of this CGI. You don't need to see a thousand ships there. This is like a, like a snippet of, of an event. This is like a painting which covers a vast amount 
uh, but ultra realistically. You know, as I said before, uh, this film was shot with natural lighting. Nolan uh, shot it using IMAX 65 millimeter film stock in Panavision system, uh, which leads to this like crystal clear imagery. These beautiful scenes that really place the audience into the action. The cinematography to go alongside this as well was absolutely stunning. You know, the framing and, and the filming of some of these shots is just so incredibly well done. Um, for example, when the boats arrive at Dunkirk, it looks like a painting, you know, it should be hanging in the Louvre. It's that, it's that good. Uh, and, and because What's wrong with Nolan... the British Museum? Uh, maybe it could start in the Louvre and then we can pick it up and bring it back home Um, but like Nolan chooses physical over digital a lot of the time Uh, and these incredible grandiose scenes are a a genuine like uh, pleasure like you're watching some of these and you're thinking how has he done that as Alex said before this dog fight how could you film that but he's done it you know a lot of this like the the boat uh, filling up with water the the the, uh, another one being torpedoed there's a scene it's quite understated but one of the soldiers after arriving uh, hits the deck and there's a succession of bombs that are landed leading up to him like uh, they're getting closer and closer and closer and you know his nerves are absolutely rattled and you can see people getting thrown every which way but loose in the background and that was done using dummies and actual explosives and you can see it looks fantastic if you were to use cgi it would look terrible i think well you know it just wouldn't look as good sorry alex are you going to say something yeah just just it just reminded me just very quickly i think i don't think the idea of how important the air force is in war has ever been shown as well as in this film you know like how just at the mercy of planes people were in 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 the second world war and especially yeah. at that time and i, I feel like it really you, you know you, you always have this idea in your head you know when you're watching stupid action films i'm not talking about war films of like oh you could duck under this or you could run away or you could you know jump around or, you know there's someone firing their rifle and you just realize you, it really does convey that idea of how utterly at the mercy of fate you are when you're on the beach with a rifle and there's a plane coming towards you you know it, it it's it's real it, it really does convey that just sorry, just a, one last thing. As I was just saying, sorry, just passed over to Alex. Um, like what Dave was saying before about um, you know, like needing some a bit some big events. Uh, I, I I think that the film is a bit understated, and you don't need these massive action scenes. There are some action set pieces in it, but they're they're more understated. You don't need something like you know like loads of explosions and gunfire and people's limbs getting blown off because he's, he's telling it like it was you know if you were to then add some something in just to kind of you know like look it would look it, it would look commonplace in a michael bay film that would just be to ramp up you know that would be for the audience for a modern day audience and i think he he doesn't slow down or dumb down the context for his audience he knows that they know the story and that these are the things that happened and he's just given them a screenshot of those events okay thanks for that gav so uh dave and ozzy obviously you're a chance now to uh say what you want to say in return to that and um you know just kind of closing points so if anyone else has got anything that they want to cover kind of now's the time um i think it would be good as well just if someone touches on uh you know killian murphy's part and i know either i can't remember actually who, who, who it was that brought it up kind of uh portrayed this you know the shell shock element obviously his his role in the film it is quite a major one and obviously you know i have seen the film it results in um, like a civilian death so how how it 
do you feel that that was betrayed, um, you know, in this film as well? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, no, you go, you uh, go, mate. So uh, I kind of feel as though that whole civilian, the, the whole premise of that boat with the, the kid on board, like the two kids on board and, and, and the dad being the, the whole, that whole section is just, it's all there just to prey on, like, like Gab was saying, it's just a way of trying to say, oh, we're all in this, you know, we're all in this together. Everybody played their part in this war. And and this kid, like, went out to try and do something and he ends up dead for no real reason because of the shell shocking. And, um, like, you know, I, I think Killian Murphy is a good actor and I think he does a good job portraying somebody uh, shell shocked. I've never met anyone with real PTSD, but in terms of things I've seen on on screen, I think that's a pretty believable way to go there. He's absolutely horrified that he's got to go back. I think he does a good job, but I think the scene he put inside and the people who's, who he's around, so the other kid gets given. So Killian Murphy genuinely does a good job, but this other kid, he, he then has to decide to tell her, he asks, oh, how's the, how's the boy doing? How's the boy doing? And then suddenly this kid who's been an absolute like shit previously locked him in because he was scared and all this other stuff suddenly becomes mature over the space of the the hour journey across or the, the one day journey across to Dover and, and is now mature enough to tell him oh yeah he's fine all that sort of stuff it's just very convenient and I think that's kind of what happens in in the whole timeline scenario of trying to pull everyone together it's just everything's very convenient you know all of the all of, all of the coincidences that line up so that the, the the, the Spitfire happens to to join into this guy's boat, and then just and, and then the way that, that that Scottish actor I can't remember his name, and he's there, you know, willing his mate on from the ground, looking up at his buddy in the in the other Spitfire. Come on, come on, Farrier, and all this malarkey, and it's just it's almost it's almost laughable. It it took me out of the film because of how like just so obvious. It was trying to do it, playing at people, you know, playing at the lowest common denominator, flag waving crew. That's literally what was going on, and it's just, and it's just painfully obvious. So, and I mean, Dave, feel free to jump in back on the, the real question, but that I, I just needed to say that about the, the flag waving just really brings it out. Mm. It, it didn't bother me to the same extent the uh, the flag waving. I kind of it was to be expected. I think this film came out um, within months of the darkest hour. You know the two films could have gone hand in hand. They virtually did. Um, so you do expect a degree of, of patriotism uh, to come to come with that. And I I wasn't disappointed. There was British patriotism in there for sure. Um, as far as things that Gavin Alex was saying before, um, the technical aspects of this film are brilliant. Yeah, the way it is shot. Uh, it won awards at the Oscars for sound mixing. I was saying to Gav before we started recording, I, I wouldn't know good sound mixing from bad, but the industry peers clearly thought it was they did a decent job. So it sounds good. It looks good. Um, the Hans Zimmer score is good. The technical aspects of this film sure are fantastic, but it falls down because I think Christopher Nolan got wrapped up in those technical aspects. He got wrapped up being a bit too fancy with his editing and playing with the timeline. He got a bit too wrapped up in, in having real effects as opposed to using CGI, which, as I say, he thought was cheating. I think he got too wrapped up in trying to show the world what he could do as a director that he forgot that he needed a compelling story. He needed uh, a solid cast. He needed a, a decent way of showing this real event, this, this event that I don't think there's ever been a film about Dunkirk before. 
I think this was a, a good chance to show people a lot about what it was about and educate people about it. Because Alex says we all know what Dunkirk was. It's like, yeah, well, we've all heard of Dunkirk. We all know what it was. We know roughly when it happened, why it was important. I don't think mo- many people out there know the details. This isn't on the educational syllabus, to my knowledge. We, we Dunkirk is mentioned to us in school. But it's not, Alex, you're a teacher. I'll let you. I'll let you revolt. No, I, I don't teach the four-year-olds about Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should. But I mean, exactly. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've been messing around with circles. So I should really go into. <laughs> well, keep keep your hand down then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's. Uh, I, I don't remember. It was certainly when we were in school, um, Dunkirk was mentioned, and we covered a few World War Two topics. We never went into any depth on Dunkirk. I don't know the details. I had to research them after watching this film for this podcast to see how accurate it was. And like I say, you know, you'd think watching this film that only one pilot offered air support to the British sailors on the beach. You'd think that the Germans sent maybe five planes to go to take out the British troops that were waiting to be evacuated. It wasn't the the case at all. There were hundreds of planes involved running thousands of missions between them over the beaches and over the English Channel. That's not really shown. We're shown like a little fraction of that, and there's no suggestion that there's something else bigger going on elsewhere over the Channel. Uh, The same with the boats. Like I said, Alex says you don't need to show people nearly a 1,000 boats coming in over the Channel. I think you do to really give people the idea of why Dunkirk was so momentous, why it was this big deal where everyone rallied together and why it was such a, a victory, why it was snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. This really was a turning point. And so early on in what was to be a six-year conflict, so early on, this was a massive moment. And you don't get that impression. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we got one over on the Germans. Go, yeah. go, go UK. That point on the scale thing, actually, it's, it's literally mentioned once in, in a sentence, like a closing sentence. They, they talk it. about, oh, we're planning on getting 35,000 out. And then a little bit later, they re- return to that same conversation or, you know, follow-up conversation. He says, oh, actually, we got 300,000. Now, you didn't see 300,000 people. You didn't even get the sense that you could fit 300,000 people no, I mean, on the just, number of boats that arrived. You know, it you, just it, it was, was an unbelievable number to... You, you to could not out. assemble that many ships in open water. You know, you would never get a license for that. You'd never be able to get that many planes in airspace, practically. You'd never be able to get that many extras out there on a beach. You know, it just couldn't... A film wouldn't be able to do that. This, this is what CGI was for. This is what CGI was made for. If you wanted to show an accurate depiction of Dunkirk, you needed to get special effects involved. And I think a sense of hubris or arrogance on Christopher Nolan's part meant that he refused to do though. He wanted to show the world what he could do without those things. But unfortunately, he fell short. I don't think he's maybe as good as he thinks he is. Okay, so I think I've got enough to go on with, but Alex, you just want to kind yeah, of just, add a quick a very, small point? Just a very brief thing. Just, just on the... I don't think the film needed to be an education documentary. Do you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of books about Dunkirk and I think there's a lot of documentaries about it. And, and I actually do think there is a bit of a national consciousness of what Dunkirk was. So I, I do think I give people credit for knowing, for knowing that there would be more than three planes in the air, for example. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it was the film's intention to educate people about it. I think it was to show a snip, like what Gav was saying, I think it was to show a snapshot of what it was like maybe to be there. So, you know, I, I don't think it needs to necessarily be educational. I, I, and I also think you, we could give the audience a bit more credit than than, than Dave's giving them there. Okay, uh, go on, Dave, briefly. Just briefly, if I may. I think if you wanted to have a snapshot and just show a snippet, then you should have just followed one person and you should have had a snapshot. Instead, you've tried to take a big landscape picture and there's holes all over the place because you've tried to do too broad a scope while not having the vision for it. Okay, if you've literally got 
30 seconds. <laughs> uh, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well done, mate. <laughs> uh, I think you've won it for your team there. <laughs> um, okay, I think I've got... It's not much worse than how I started. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a fair amount to go on with there. So, Gav, um, you know, don't disappoint me with your quiz here. Uh, no guarantee. I got a quiz all about war. It was all about World War Two, but then I put in a couple of questions that went about World War Two. So I think it's is ten questions all about World War Two, and then three about other wars. <laughs> so, <laughs> number one, uh, who? Oh, so fingers on the buzzers, by the way. Uh, number one, who was the director of the Oscar? Oh, sorry, who was the best? Director, Oscar-winning director of the 2008 what? film. The best director-winning director. <laughs> who was? Who won the best Oscar director? Directing the director. <laughs> yeah. um, Dave, Catherine Bigelow. Well done. I didn't even have to say the name of the film. 2008. See, 2000. Well, who won the Oscar? Well, you jackasses were just laughing at me. Dave, we're the jackasses. Was, we're yeah, the jackasses. He, yeah, he was. Did you write these on questions the down? Yes, of course. <laughs> Bear in mind, I did do them about 11 minutes ago. Uh, question number two. Which Hollywood heavyweight played Sergeant John Stryker in the World War II movie, Sons of Iwo Jima? Um, Hollywood heavyweight who was packing a lot when he died. Packing a lot of meat in his colon. Oh, uh, got it. Alex John Wayne. Wayne. It was John Wayne. John Wayne, yeah. Literally died full of shit, as he did. Number three, which World War II movie features a famous beach scene starring Bert Lancaster Bert, and Deborah Carr? From Here to Eternity. Well done, Alex, from Here to Eternity. Number four, in The Great Escape, what was the nickname of Steve McQueen's character, Virgil Hiltz? Dave? The Cooler King. Yes, well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, number five, I've just written The Guns of Navarone. <laughs> so, <laughs> 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 David Niven. <laughs> well done, Alex. Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number six, which movie depicts an attempted assassination of Adolf Hitler? Bam. Valkyrie. Valkyries. Valkyrie, yeah, well done. Uh, number seven, which actor plays King George VI, speech therapist? Bam. Um, Alex. Rush. Well done, yeah. Sorry, Dave. Uh, Alex just keeps on beating you to the punch a little bit. You're <laughs> hoping to be able to get this one. Number eight, Telly Savalas and Donald Sutherland appeared in two, wow. in oh, two oh, World War II movies. Uh, Dave? Uh, the Dirty Dozen. Yes. And Kelly's Heroes. Well done, yes. Well done. I'd have only got one. Well done, Dave. <laughs> uh, question number nine, which 2001 war film chronicles the Battle of Mogadishu? What? I don't you repeat it. Yes. Bam. 2001. Yeah. Is it Black it's Hawk Down? It is Black Hawk Down. Well done. Oh, well, are well we, done. we're entering the three. This, is, this is not <laughs> yeah. World War II anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number 10. Why, why was Captain Miller and his squad saving Private Ryan? Bam. Bam. <laughs> what? <laughs> Is it cut? Oh, man. Give us ego. Give us ego. Yeah, go on, Ozzy. Was it because his two brothers had already died or something and they decided we should get this guy out of, of here just to give his mum a no, break? No, it's not as stupid as that, Ozzy. It's his three brothers had died. <laughs> <laughs> do, you remember the, do, do you remember the salute bewaring bit where the guy's like, yeah, but aren't we endangering the lives of all these other people? And he's just like, no. <laughs> no, just send him. 
No, you're patriotic for even mentioning that. No, send that man to the front line. <laughs> you're getting it now. <laughs> uh, okay, number 11, directed by David Lean. Which war epic starring Alec Guinness and William Holden was set in a Japanese um, POW camp, Dave? Bam, bam. It was Bridge on the River, Qu- River Kwai. It was Bridge on the River Kwai. Well done. Uh, number 12, what was the name of the bar in Casablanca? Bam. Alex? Rick's Bar. Uh, yeah, I'll give you that. Rick's Cafe American. Oh. Uh, and number 13, uh, <laughs> Bradley Cooper starts in which award-winning movie about the Iraq War? Bam. 18. Is it American Sniper? It is. It is American <laughs> Sniper. Well done. Not I, think, I think Alex won that one. Uh, so, well done. I'm you fed up with the fucking sound effect. Bam! <laughs> I'll send you Big a friend. If you need a new buzzer. <laughs> Or maybe, uh, you know, we can spend all of our films on trial budget on buzzer sound effects. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. For, for future um, film quizzes. Okay, so uh, I feel like that quiz has just completely pushed everything else that happened out of my mind, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, I think I think this one was always going to be tough. Um, you know, war films especially true to life ones are always a, a little bit of a touchy touchy subject um i think both sides made some very good points as well um you know i think i especially liked when, when dave and ozzy were saying about you know only showing three planes and you know a handful of ships and that type of thing um you know and and dunkirk not being you know maybe a topic that is covered in in schools and and things like that maybe you know a lot of people wouldn't realize that there is actually meant to be, you know, a massive battle going on overhead and so many ships on the seas. I know I think some text does come up either at the end or at the start, but, you know, it, it maybe that is a, a little bit presumptuous. And I, I also kind of, uh, you know, did like the point about, you know, Harry Styles, you know, I, I suppose if you were watching it and you took like, you know, your, your kid who's like, I don't know, 15 or whatever, you know, instantly they'd be like, oh, that's Harry Styles. And you probably would be taking out the film a little bit uh, just from that. Uh, but, you know, Gav and Alex made some good points. I especially like Alex's points, um, you know, with, with his opening argument. He made some really <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like I say, um, you know, about the action being understated and, you know, how they can portray uh, the terrors of war without really, you know, showering, uh, you know, the audience with with blood and gore and, uh, you know, kind of the usual stuff that you would get in war films, you know, tanks explode and all that type of thing. Uh, so, as I say, I think there's equal points for both sides of this. And I think this is probably, you know, why why we picked this film, because it's, it, it's really divisive. Uh, but I think kind of what swayed it for me is, um, you know, just the fact that, you know, it, it is really well shot and it is, you know, essentially a war film that, that's, a, that's just a little bit different, um, you know, to, to all the other stuff really. And I kind of liked that point. So I think I am going to put it on the hit list, but, you know, just about, I would say, I, won't, I definitely wouldn't say it was a landslide, I think. Ozzy and Dave did a good job and looking at Gavin Alex's reaction now I'm kind of inclined to put it on the shit list <laughs> that's why I waited <laughs> but it's on there though but it's on there so screw you uh, okay honest opinions what did we all think I'll go first I thought it was alright I don't think it was Nolan's best film 
Um, I do agree with a lot of what Dave was saying about the characters. I found it personally quite hard to get behind the characters because, uh, you know, it kept on moving around and it didn't focus on any particular one for a long period of time. But it was incredibly well shot. This was such a beautiful film, you know, and as Dave was saying before, the sound editing as well um, and the cinematography, the soundtrack, there's just so many good bits to this film that even with uh, that kind of that character section falling down for me, there's just so many other positives that, you know, you can't go away not thinking that this is a good film. Uh, Dave? Uh, there's a lot of positives, to be sure. You know, technically, the film is brilliant. Um, I meant everything I said, though. Um, it's, it's okay. Like Gav says, it's all right. Um, it's I don't see what all the fuss was about. If you Google reviews of the film online, there is just heaps of praise. People saying it's the best war film ever made. It's the best film of that year. I don't see it. I don't understand it. Um, I don't see what all the fuss is about. It's It's all right. It's worth a watch, but I wouldn't get carried away with it. And there are many criticisms I could level at it and did. Okay, thank you, Dave. Uh, uh, Ozzy? Um, I, I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the first time I watched it, mainly because I had it, well, even even yesterday, I had it on pretty loud. And I think you really do need to be immersed in it. You need the lights off. You need to be watching it for for the, the beautifully shot film that it is. Um, the, 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 shoot, you know, the, the, the cinematography and the sound are awesome. But yesterday I was watching it more critically and things like the the poor acting from extras because there's loads and loads ginger of extras. Kid. That one ginger guy. Honestly, they just there was just moments where, and I didn't want to laugh because uh, Katie had never seen it. So I didn't want to ruin the film for anyone else watching it with me. And um, But there were just moments where I was like, I can't believe I, I let him let them get away with that last time and you just it just washed over me but it, it's some, some i think it is a little bit you know overly patriotic and and i don't think it does like dave said it doesn't uh it doesn't show necessarily the the horrors of war it just beefs up that dunkirk british spirit and i think that's what they were going for and it's just in some ways because of the way we are at the minute like as well i'm looking at it from a a political point of view, maybe, and it just it just didn't ring very nicely with me. Still think it's a good film, but yeah. Uh, Ozzy, I can imagine you being like super smug watching a film that you've already seen, just because it's probably a very rare <laughs> occurrence. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not often it happens, but yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't want to ruin it, and, you know, by laughing at points where I thought fucking hell, that's pretty farcical, um, particularly with that guy on the boat which I hope people go and look for it now. Yeah, we're going to have to go watch it for a third time now, just for that I'm extra. I'm going to look out for that ginger kid yeah. when I watch it. Yeah. And Alex, uh, Christopher Nolan's number one super fan, what did you think of it? <laughs> I think that's why I slipped into just panning it at the beginning. Um, I, I agreed with quite a lot of what Ozzy and Dave said, especially when Dave was talking about like the lack of um, protagonist or sort of like strong... Just, just strong characters that had any real reason or point to be there. And I think the thing that I found really hard was the patriotic flag waving. I found that really difficult. I do think um, there's an audience for it. I definitely do. Um, I think there's some people who really like military history. And, you know, for me, for me personally, I think it's maybe missing the point of when we're talking about war. But some people love looking at, you know, the exact what a, a Messerschmitt would have looked like and wow, you know, the, the, the Junker bombers would have had, you know, the, the starboard edge and all of that stuff. And I think this would really appeal to people who were sort of very salute the flag, you know, stand up for the national anthem and love their war history in, in a certain sense of, you know, the accuracy of, of war. I, I think 
this film is exactly what they want. So it's not for me, but I understand that people would really love it. Okay, thank you. Uh, I got a bit of trivia for you. Uh, apparently, Christopher Nolan used seventy-five percent more film in this than he has done in any of his other movies. Seventy-five percent. Can you imagine editing that down? <laughs> Just here you go. <laughs> here you go here's 16 <laughs> days worth of film turn it into two hours for me and um, you may think it all runs concurrently <laughs> I've got an idea yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe one's that's why. one day one's an hour and the rest is a week yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why they had, they had so much film it was like I can't fucking be arsed trying to yeah. find where this bit goes <laughs> just smack it in the middle day 78 of editing just stapling bits of film together <laughs> it'll do it'll do but the ginger kid's still in it he just put him in <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, okay. I was just been looking. I've just literally just sent you the uh, the scene uh, uh, <laughs> on WhatsApp. Oh, I go, wait till the end, everybody. Bloody hell! Right. Okay. Higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Joker, which higher. scored sixty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm higher. guessing higher. higher. I'm gonna go higher. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anybody want to hazard a guess? I think it's stupid high, like oh, high eighties. Eighty. Eighty five. Anybody higher or lower than that? I'm going to say even 90. Higher. I'm going to say it's like mid 90s. 86. I'm, saying uh, I'm going to give it to Aussie. It's 93. Oh, wow. I know. Maybe the highest one that we've ever reviewed, to be honest. Um, okay, so I once again put up a poll on Twitter over the weekend, asked our friends and followers which list Dunkirk should be placed on. They weren't as kind as the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, with only 65% of our listeners thinking that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, before we adjourn this case, it's time for a caption contest. What I do here is I take a screenshot of the film and put it on Twitter and ask our friends and followers to provide a funny caption with the best one winning a frog-shaped chocolatey <laughs> treat. Uh, okay, so the scene is Kenneth Branagh's Commander Bolton looking on in almost disgust as a boatload of men leave on a perilous journey back to Britain. Can everybody please pay attention and start watching that scene of the ginger kid that Ozzy's just sent? Ozzy, <laughs> when, when you do upload this episode, can you please attach that scene so people can watch it and I'll they know what the hell you're on yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Maybe so, they should uh, have like a little a disclaimer at the start as well, just saying, you know, we don't actually discriminate against ginger kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm married to it's, a ginger. It's not bad because he's ginger, right? Ozzy? Yeah, it's bad because yeah. he's acting. He can't wait. <laughs> He's like he's, someone yeah. said wave, wave in his plane and he just doesn't know how to yeah. do a wave. Saying like, he was ginger due to the wave. Uh, yeah, to describe which one you should be looking out for. <laughs> yeah. However, sure. after looking at the scene again, I didn't need to tell you who to look out for. It is really pretty obvious. obvious. I just watched it myself. But I have to say, I never <laughs> took notice to that when I watched it in the cinema. Is it Kenneth Branagh ginger? Yeah, and he's pretty... He's not going to listen to the blonde and he's just around looking out to see. What do you see, mate? Oh, not much, to be honest with you. Just fucking the sea, you know? Home, and this home is, this is, yeah, is that, is that cheerful enough for you? I see home, boys. <laughs> hey, this is another reason why Midsummer was such a good film because one of the main stars of that was Ginger. You know, real snapshots <laughs> of hair diversity. Um, right, she could okay. wave, you see. <laughs> right, just shut your mouth. Just shut up. Just pick a goddamn caption to go with the. Do you even do you even remember what I've just said? Which scene it is? <laughs> Kenneth Branagh looking out. Do this caption contest anymore because oh. we're so backlogged with Freddos. Yeah, I can't. I literally can't leave the house at the moment. I've got because so many Freddos that need to be sent. Coronavirus is over by the time I release this episode. It's just all the Freddos stuff keeping you in. Right, shut up. Right, number one. Branagh's audition for the lead in Sully didn't go that well. Number two. Reopen the economy, they said. It'll be fine, they said. Number three. 
my face after I give instructions and then someone asks me what to do. Is it your face is, and Gav? I know, it was, <laughs> which is literally my every week this flipping <laughs> podcast, especially when some divvies pitch up to it and then start giving the wrong defence. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie, my, my behaviour has been indefensible. This, <laughs> <laughs> this shit is untenable. Uh, uh, right, next one. Boris said what? Uh, next one. Oh, that was a wet one. Oh, we've gone from <laughs> politics to farts. Both similar things, anyway. The last one is uh, go into my happy place, not seasick. Go into my happy place, not seasick. Go into my happy place. <laughs> okay, so guys, which one? Uh, uh, restart uh, the economy, they said. Yeah. Oh, go for that one. Yeah. Okay. So, congratulations to our good friends and fellow podcasters, the cinema guys. You've just won yourself a flippity Freddo. You may have won yourselves a Freddo if you. You, you will eventually get a Freddo. It may not In arrive until twenty twenty-one. Time. Yeah. It'll be seven Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Are you going to buy more Freddos that are definitely in date? I'm going to have to all these Freddos, to be honest, yeah, because they're going to start going out of date. I'm going to have to send whatever else I've got in my house. Uh, I, I would say I'll send like. Um, my DVDs but to be honest the Freddos are probably more expensive it's going to be worth more in, in, in years to come I'll oh, do yeah, a Costco can... run in a bit and I'll just like post each individual Freddo through your letterbox <laughs> so you don't have to come into contact with the box itself oh thanks man That's, that's <laughs> I really appreciate that um, okay so uh, we've pulled our next film out of the hat at random have we I don't know probably not and it is uh, The Lovebirds the, the, the lovebirds. It's, it's a new <laughs> film on Netflix, Ozzy. It's, it's oh, a new film on Netflix. Great. Start oh, broadening your horizons, pal. It's a new film on Netflix. It's a comedy. And uh, anyway, it should be a laugh. Who knows? Maybe it will. We'll, we'll find out next week. Anyway, all of the roles have been picked at random. And in the role of defense is going to be myself and Austin. In the role of prosecution is going to be Dave and Joel. And in the role of judge is going to be Alex. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. If you'd like the episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. And why not leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts? Just spread the warm love of this film's on trial in as many ears as possible. And check out all of our social media, Twitter, at Film Trials, and Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Films on Trial. That's it, everyone. Dunkirk is a hit, and we'll be in your ears next week with the Lovebirds. Goodbye. Goodbye.